welcome back to the next episode of Words About Biology. Today we're going to be talking about cows and the environment. Now this is a topic that I've heard a lot about recently, so I figured it was time to sit down and discuss it. With growing concerns over greenhouse gas emissions and climate change, a lot of recent work has looked into how we can mitigate and improve our global environmental situation. A 2006 report by the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations designated livestock as a major worldwide contributor to greenhouse gas emissions that affect global warming. More recently, the 2015 Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee claimed that plant-based diets would promote health and improve long-term sustainability of the U.S. food supply. However, if you look at the numbers, the contribution of agriculture to greenhouse gas emissions might be lower than you'd expect given these recommendations. According to the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, the largest source of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions in 2016 was electricity production at 28% of total emissions, followed closely by transportation also at 28%, and industry at 22%. All of agriculture accounted for 9% of total emissions, while within that, animal agriculture represented 4% of total U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. So while 4% is certainly nothing to ignore, it isn't the huge impact that it is often made out to be. Also to note is the improvements that we've made in production efficiency over the past 80 years. Technical, genetic, and management changes in the U.S. have reduced greenhouse gas emissions from U.S. livestock 11.3% since 1961. Meanwhile, the production of livestock meat has more than doubled. Something important pertaining to this discussion, all the data um, and facts that I'm going to be mentioning moving forward only concerns animal agriculture in the U.S., Animal management and efficiency varies greatly across the globe, and I'm not going to cover that scope here today. Often, what is overlooked when we're thinking about removing meat products from our diets is that with that elimination, those nutrients still need to be replaced. Farmers could produce more pounds of food and more calories per person if they raised only plants. However, you cannot obtain all the essential micro and macronutrients from plants. One of the main studies that I'm going to be discussing today is written by Robin White and Mary Beth Hall in 2017, and I will provide a link to that on the blog page. And what they did in this study was create a model of U.S. agriculture where all animal farming was removed and replaced with farming of plant food sources. Now certainly this is the most extreme situation, um, the complete removal of animal agriculture, but they wanted to use it for their model just for discussion purposes as to what that world would look like. They quantified the nutritional and greenhouse gas impacts of eliminating animals from U.S. agriculture. Currently, animal-derived foods provide 24% of total energy, 48% of total protein, 23 to 100% of total essential fatty acids, and 34 to 67% of total essential amino acids available for human consumption in the United States. Additionally, in feeding livestock, we recycle more than 43 billion kilograms of human inedible food and fiber processing byproducts. 
in a plant-based system, these byproducts would be disposed of in another way. Using their model, they found that a change to plant-only agriculture can produce 23% more food. However, this food met fewer of the population's requirements for essential nutrients, most notably calcium, vitamins A and B12, and multiple omega fatty acids. An important factor to this is the suitability of land available and what crops can be grown successfully in the U.S. climate. For example, fruit consumption in the U.S. is 203% of domestic production, but there's no suitable land to produce more. Now, as we know, there are many vegetarians and vegans in today's society, and they get along just fine. So while it's possible for a single individual to meet their needs by eating carefully crafted plant-based diets, it would actually be a challenge on the scale of an entire population to provide them the essential micro and macronutrients based on the types of crops that can be grown in the available climates and soils. So the U.S. would drastically have to change their food import system. When attempting to balance human diets for more limiting nutrients, a simulation in the model resulted in diets providing greater than 200% of the required protein and greater than 230% of the required energy in order to hit micronutrient requirements. And this is a factor of plants being less dense in the micronutrients that we require for our day-to-day -day lives. Other things to consider when imagining a system with no animal agriculture. Um, we feed our pets, our dogs, and cats diets that are largely composed of animal byproducts, so meats that were deemed unfit for human consumption or just the less appealing cuts that don't sell in, in the U.S. system. Um, so we would need to completely reformulate these diets and find additional resources or farm additional resources to include in pet feeds. Another thing to consider is that many Americans are employed in animal agriculture and animal products account for over 31 billion worth of exports annually. Economy aside, the U.S. animal product exports also significantly contribute to global nutrient requirements. So the U.S. is helping feed the world with their animal agriculture. The discussion in this paper by White and Hall goes much deeper, but the general takeaway is that a complete shift from animal agriculture to plant agriculture for human consumption would result in greater total food production, but increased essential nutrient deficiencies with an excess of energy in the U.S. population's diet. They estimated that this would result in a decrease of 2.6% of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. However, the removal of animals resulted in diets that were not viable to support the needs of the entire U.S. population without nutrient supplementation. The impacts of this modeling illustrate the need to evaluate food systems and the decisions surrounding them based on as many direct and indirect effects of change that are as encompassing as possible. It's not as simple as remove animal agriculture, reduce greenhouse gas emissions. There are other impactful side effects to consider. Now, this paper looked at total animal agriculture, but one of the biggest contributors to greenhouse gases within animal agriculture is cattle. 
One of the main reasons why cattle are of significance when discussing greenhouse gas emissions is that they produce methane. Now methane is the second most abundant greenhouse gas next to carbon dioxide. However, when comparing global warming potential, methane traps about 28% more heat than carbon dioxide. That being said, when adjusting for global warming potential, in 2018, carbon dioxide accounted for 81% of emissions, while methane contributed 10%. When we break down that 10% of emissions, approximately 40% of these methane emissions are from agriculture, with the remaining 60% being from natural and other industrial sources. So how do cattle form methane? As you may know, the stomach structure of cattle is very different than what we have as humans. The largest portion of their stomach, the rumen, is essentially a large fermentation vat filled with microorganisms. It's these microorganisms that break down complex carbohydrates from the cow's diet, turning them into volatile fatty acids, which the animals use for energy, as well as gases, including CO2 and methane, which the cattle burp out. There's also some fermentation that occurs in the lower digestive tract and comes out the other end, but this portion is much smaller than what comes out the front. Reducing these methane emissions is currently a very large area of research, and there are a couple of different approaches being taken. One of them is through nutrition. So understandably, what cows eat can have a big impact on how much methane they produce. The digestion of certain feed ingredients, for example, hay and grass, produces more methane than others, for example, corn. One of the strategies currently getting a lot of interest is feeding seaweed, and specifically the genus Asparagopsis, which are an edible red algae. These algae are of interest because they contain bromoform, which is a halogen compound known to inhibit methane production. In work completed at the University of California, published in 2019, Rock and colleagues fed dairy cattle diets with various inclusion levels of the red algae. They found that methane production decreased by 24.6% at one half percent inclusion and 67.2% at 1% inclusion. However, these inclusion levels did result in lower feed intake a 10 and 38% reduction respectively, which could mean that the cattle find the algae less palatable. Milk production was also decreased in the high inclusion level cattle, which could be linked to this reduced feed intake. Additionally, there was no increase in bromoform content in the milk, so the bromoform from the algae is not making it through into the milk for humans. This study shows the potential that red algae holds in reducing methane emissions, but also highlights the need to optimize the diets to take advantage of this inclusion. If the cattle don't want to eat the red algae, it's not going to have the benefits. A different approach being taken is genetics. So a group in Australia at the University of Adelaide have shown that the genetics of a cow strongly influence the makeup of microorganisms in its rumen, and thus how it digests feeds and the gases produced. 
they propose that microbe-led breeding programs could be a sustainable solution to lower emissions from ruminant livestock. So breeding cattle that contain the favorable microbes within their rumens to reduce the production of methane during digestion. So in conclusion, this is a very complicated problem. It's not as simple as just going vegetarian as our nutrient requirements are complex, especially on a population scale. All food grown has an impact on the environment. It's important to consider the greenhouse gases, but also the nutritional value, land use, and other factors. The equation for reducing animal product intake is a complicated one, especially on the scale of a whole population. Well, that's all for today's episode. Hopefully this has stimulated some thoughts on how our diets affect the environment. As always, there will be a blog post accompanying this podcast. It's at wordsaboutbiology.wordpress.com. I'm on Instagram with the same handle, wordsaboutbiology, all one word. Until next time, I hope you stay interested in science. Have a great one. See you later.